0: Guys, okay, so this morning we're talking about what I call final salvation, what it means to, or at least what we talk about here, in the, we read the passage in John 10, our guarantee of an eternal inheritance, we're going to look at that, we're going to look at our responsibility. Now when we talk about this topic of eternal security or attaining a final salvation or we are we are saved in the past when we are justified, but then we look forward to our final salvation when we're face-to-face with God in glory. When we consider that truth of eternal security, there's a phrase that's very common in evangelical circles called, once saved, always saved. It expresses the idea that once someone is saved, once someone is a Christian, they'll always be a Christian, no matter what. Now, sometimes that phrase... It's prone to misunderstanding. It's often misunderstood and misapplied. And so today we're going to look at this topic of once saved, always saved. And we're going to jump right into it this morning. I'm going to give you three different statements, three different theses that relate to this topic of eternal security. This topic of once saved, always saved. Okay, A guaranteed inheritance for believers. Okay, Three different statements, and then we'll think about some... Implications and some applications following that. Okay, so the first statement is this: True Christians must persevere. Okay, kind of have it short so it's memorable. True Christians must persevere. Now I want to show you this from Scripture, and what I mean by this is: Final salvation, you know, attaining heaven in glory with the Father, Son, and Spirit, depends on. Okay. Final salvation depends on a person's perseverance in faith, love, and good works or holiness, okay? I want to show you that from scripture. True Christians must persevere. That is final salvation depends on someone continuing in faith and in love and in holiness, okay? So the first one, persevering in faith. You might want to jot down these verses. You won't have time to flip to them all. I'm just going to read a number of verses. Consider this, that final salvation depends on someone's perseverance and faith. Colossians 1, to 23 says this. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Beautiful gospel. Then verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. That is final salvation. That this is a reality for you depends on your continuance in the faith. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. John 8, 31 says this. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, he said this this to them, if you abide in my word, that is, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you forsake my word, you are not my disciples. If you remain in my word, Jesus says, you are truly my disciples. (laughs) 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 12 says this. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him, it says, he will also deny us. Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says there, the one who endures to the end will be be saved. That is, if you don't endure in faith, if you don't persevere in faith, you'll not be saved. Okay, this is what the scriptures say. I know we're thinking now, well, Does that mean salvation depends on works? Does that mean salvation depends on something we do? We're going to get there. But we must agree with these scriptures that our final salvation depends on a persevering faith, a continuance in faith. We must cling to Christ through faith till the end in order to gain final salvation. If a person turns their back on Christ, if a person no longer believes If they deny Christ, then they have no assurance the promises, speaking of redemption, apply to them. They have, they have forfeit these promises, forfeit salvation. It's lost. Next, not only do we say, scriptures say we must persevere in faith, scriptures say we must persevere in love. We must persevere in love. Final salvation depends on a person's perseverance, continuance in love. 1 John 3.14 says this, we know that we have passed out of death into life because... Okay, you know, if we were to finish that sentence without reading the rest of that verse, we'd say, well, I, I know i passed from death to life because I, I believe, because I made a decision. But he says in 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Abides in death. If you don't love the brothers... The brothers and sisters don't love the church, John is saying, and you abide in death. We know that we pass out of death into life because we love the brothers. First John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if there's someone who does not love, doesn't love God, doesn't love the brothers, they don't know God. We must persevere. We must continue in love. Love for God and love for the brothers. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's what the Apostle John says. If you say, "I, I know God. But you don't love your brother, that is, you don't love the church, you don't love those for whom Christ has died for, well, you're a liar. That's what John is saying. Okay? So, it's very popular today for people to say, I'm a spiritual person. I just can't stand the church. You know? People say, I- I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. I- I'm, I'm going to be at arm's length, or even worse, I'm not even going to attend. Nothing to do with the church, but I love Jesus. John says, they're a liar. They're a liar. It's not true. It's impossible. We know that we have been born again. We know that we love God because we love the brothers. If anyone says that, John says they are a liar. Love for Christ's church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, is a necessary, it's a defining virtue of true Christianity. Without it, one cannot be a Christian. Cannot be a Christian. So we must persevere in faith, we must persevere in love. And the Bible also teaches we must persevere in holiness and good works. Listen to these verses. James 2.17. It says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That is, it's useless. It's of no value. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Hebrews 12.14 says this way. It says, strive, strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See how it puts it there? Mm -hmm. Strive for holiness because without it, you're not going to see the Lord. A Christian must persevere in faith, in love, and in holiness and good works. The scripture says, don't be deceived. If someone says, I'm a Christian, but there's no good works, there's no holiness, no striving for it, they have no confidence that they're going to see God. Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap. And that passage is talking about eternal life. He's talking about eternal life. Galatians 6, verse 8, he says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap eternal life if we do not give up. We do not give up. We will have eternal life. Do not grow weary in doing good. If you grow weary in doing good and you give up, then you have no eternal life. Romans 8, 13 says this. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Works here is playing a part must persevere in good works. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says this. Okay, remember, this is written to the church. Okay, this is not for those people outside. This is written to the church. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, plain, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is written to the church as a warning to people who say, I believe God and I'm following him, I'm following Christ, but they act sinfully. He says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God because a true Christian must persevere in faith, they must persevere in love, and they must persevere in good works and holiness. The Apostle John, he called people a liar who said that they loved God but didn't love the church. Well, he continues in 1 John 2, 4, he says, Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Not only does John call someone a liar who says that they love God, but don't love the church. He says, if you say you love Jesus, but you don't obey his commandments, you're a liar. So the Bible says it's clear from these texts and others like them, that final salvation depends on a person's continuance in faith, in love and in good works. Now we have a, have a dilemma. We have a dilemma. Because I thought we were evangelical. I thought we believed in the gospel of justification by faith alone. And that's true. That's true. We have so many passages that talk about how we are justified apart from our works. Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. In other words, justified by faith alone apart from the works of the law. Galatians 2.16 says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians 2.21 says, For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a gift of God. It's given to us through faith. We read in Ephesians 2, verse 8. We are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That's true. So how do we reconcile these passages, say, if you do not continue, then you will not receive eternal life. How do we deal with that? How do we put those things together? How do we put together, you must persevere not only in faith, but you must persevere in love, and you must persevere in good works or in holiness. It sounds very conditional when you say final salvation depends on those things, which is what I said, Sounds awfully conditional where we know that salvation depends on what? Faith alone. Now we're going to get to the bottom and hopefully bring these things together as we go on this morning. But at this point, what we need to understand is that we are justified by faith alone. But justifying faith is never alone. Justification. Faith is is the grace of God. It's a gift of God, as it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Not only does God give the gift of salvation and of faith and of justification, but he gives us the other graces of love and of good works, of holiness. Enduring faith is a gift just like the other things, as I've mentioned. Now, we're going to elaborate further, but I want to go on to my second thesis. Okay, so the first thesis is... True Christians must persevere. They must persevere. The second thing I want you to see in Scripture this morning. True Christians will persevere. Okay? First thing, true Christians must persevere. The second, true Christians will persevere without fail. First text I want to read to you is Romans 8, 30 to 39. Romans 8, 30 to 39, as we reflect on true Christians will persevere. It says in this passage, and those whom he predestined, speaking of God, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So as we consider this text, true Christians will persevere. They will persevere. And we can ask, why will God's people persevere? Because it is God who predestines, God who calls, God who justifies, God who glorifies, God who has sent his son to die in our place, who has risen again in our place, who now intercedes for us. So what charge can anyone bring against us? Because it's God who justifies. What, what can separate us from the love of God? God's powerful love is set upon his people. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Whether famine, persecution, sword, nothing can separate us from the love of God expressed through Christ Jesus. He said, if God has loved us in such a way that he sent his own son to die for us, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Things are guaranteed. Eternal life is guaranteed because God has given us the greater thing in his own son, and his death. And some of this passage is clear. True Christians will persevere. And they're going to do it because God is the author of their salvation. And He's going to guarantee that nothing is going to separate us from His love. The second text, as we consider this truth, is one that was read this morning, John 10. If you still have that open, I'm going to read that again, John chapter 10. As we consider the second statement, that true Christians will persevere. True Christians will persevere. John chapter 10, I'm going to read the same passage, 22 to 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. Bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Now, when he says here, I and the father are one, he's not talking about an ontological reality of being in the Trinity. He's talking here about how both he and father are unified on this one point of preserving the sheep. So not one of them is lost. Okay, so if anyone says that true Christians can lose their salvation. They're saying that Jesus is a liar because Jesus says he will ensure he will give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Both father and son are keeping his sheep. From perishing. Jesus said early in this passage, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's why they are saved. Because Christ gave his life for them. So this passage is instructive to us. Telling us that true Christians will persevere. They will be saved. It also helps us to bring these ideas together about how true Christian must persevere and will persevere. Because look what it says in verse 27. It says in verse 27. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. What are the characteristics of a sheep here? They hear the voice of Jesus. That is when God speaks in his word that sheep hear it they recognize it for who it is that's that's jesus that's my lord that's the one who who promises me these things that's the one who speaks the very words of god and i believe not only that but he says my sheep follow me my sheep follow me what does it mean to follow jesus it means to endure to persevere in faith and love and good works okay So he's tying these two ideas together, how a true Christian must persevere. That is, they follow Jesus. They obey his commands. They love God. They love others. They continue in the faith. They are righteous. And it says that Jesus gives them eternal life and they will never perish. Now, the reason why Jesus gave them eternal life is not because, well, these people here work really hard and so now have earned the right to be called my sheep. That's not what he says. not what he says. He tells the Pharisees, he goes, you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep believe. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. So we've been reflecting on the last number of weeks. Salvation. A gift of God. Father Son, and Spirit at work. Okay, so we see in this text is that Christ keeps his sheep. Sheep are those who believe, who love, who follow him, who obey him, we could say. And Christ preserves them in faith, love, and good works. Okay? Now, I want to start trying to connect these dots. Okay? The third statement we're going to look at this morning. True Christians must and will persevere, okay? So true Christians must persevere and will persevere since they are born of God and are kept of God, okay? True Christians must and will persevere because they are born of God and because they are kept by God or kept by his power. I'm going to unpack that with scripture in just a second. But last week we talked about being born again, what that meant. The idea of being born again really helps to dispel the confusion when we have these conditions of you will attain final salvation if this takes place. And the idea that it's a free gift that we justified by faith alone. Whenever people misunderstand once saved, always saved, there's always a misunderstanding of the new birth, what it means to be born again. And so last week we looked at the idea of being born again from Jesus in John chapter three. When Jesus says to be born again is really to be imparted with his gift of God, that the spirit of God moves like the wind. And as the wind blows and breathes, someone is born again. And when they're born again, they see the kingdom of God see Christ for who he is. They see his beauty, his splendor. they see his, their necessity and they bow before Christ in allegiance and repentance and faith because they've been born again. We looked in 1 John, where 1 John says that we who have been born of God are righteous. Those who practice righteousness have been born of God, he says. That is, the product of being born again, the new birth, is that one now lives begins this work of righteousness and, and lives righteously and continues to grow in righteousness and holiness. That's a product of the new birth. He's not only that, but he says, whoever loves God loves because he has been born of God. He says in 1 John, he at this last week, Okay, because we have been born of God, because we have been born again, we now love God. We love the brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, to be born again means you are a new creature in Christ. And that is not just a little pick-me-up, a little fixer, a little tinker on the edges. It's a new heart. Ezekiel talks about a heart of stone being ripped out and a heart of flesh, a heart that actually works, a resurrection. It talks about the fact that we have new life. We have new desires, new hopes, new dreams, newfound faith, newfound loves, and a desire for holiness. It's all product product of the new birth. And also in 1 John 5, 1, we saw last week, it says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Why do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? Because I've been born again. Because I've been made new. And so I'm given eyes to see and ears to hear the wonderful glories of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so key to understand this. Because our salvation is completely by grace. We are justified by faith alone and by grace alone. We are saved by God's power, his initiative, his mercy. We are not saved. We're saved. We're not saved because we are smarter than anybody else. We're not saved because we had certain parents. We're not saved because we go to a certain church. We're not saved because we've been born in a certain place and time. We're not saved because I'm more spiritually sensitive or more emotional or because I had a different upbringing or background. We are saved for one reason and one reason alone because the God of this universe has had mercy in sending His Son to die in our place and taking His Spirit to apply that work of salvation, to give us new hearts. Otherwise, we'll remain in darkness and in blindness. We'll remain in our sin. powerful grace of God is communicated to us through, as you've seen, the Father's choice, the Son's personal substitutionary atonement, and the Spirit's work of the new birth. Now, there's one text that I want to look at this morning, and you need to turn there, that's going to pull all these things together. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to fall in love with this text here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. This passage is going to take all the dots and just pull them all together to give us a clear picture of the new birth. A clear picture of all those conditional statements of if you do this, then you will have final salvation. And if you don't, then it's forfeit and you will suffer God's wrath. And we're justified by faith alone. How does that all work? First Peter 1 Verses 3 and 5 are going to tie these things together beautifully. This is such a great passage. Look at look at this. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a great passage. A great passage. It takes all of these elements we've been talking about and it puts it together so succinctly and so clearly. I'm going to unpack a few of these references in here. First, look at verse 3 with me. Okay, he starts with the blessing to God and then he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Okay, this is what we saw last week in John chapter 3 when Jesus says, You know, you must be born again. And he talks about the wind. Now, we must be born of God. That's what 1 John is saying. You, You live righteously. You have faith and you love because you've been born of God. This has been an act of sovereign grace in your life. So we have Jesus taught that. We have John taught that. We have Paul, of course, teaching that all over the place. And here we have it in Peter as well. God has Caused you to be born again according to his great mercy. We didn't do it. He did it. Okay. That's the first thing I want you to notice. Second thing. It continues. In verse three. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A few weeks ago, we looked at the efficacy, the effectiveness of the atonement of Jesus Christ. spent we two weeks looking at it, on the effectiveness, the power of Christ's atonement to accomplish that which he set out to accomplish. This verse wonderfully begins to start pulling those threads together for us. God in his mercy has caused us to be born again. Not unrelated from the atonement But it was through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that this happened. That is, there's a causal connection between the atonement of Christ and the new birth. How how did the new birth cause in us? It was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is because Christ has died in the place of sinners and rose again in their place... That sinners are to a living hope. All of this is because of God's great mercy. Okay. All of this is because of God's great mercy. And so here we see the atonement tied in with the new birth. Third thing I want you to see from this passage in verse number four. Okay. This living hope. What is this living hope? In verse four, it says this to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we've been talking about true Christians will persevere, true Christians will attain the final salvation, Jesus Christ will save his sheep, he none will perish. God's love, nothing will be able to separate us from God's love. It says right here, we have an inheritance. That is undefiled, unfading, imperishable, and kept in heaven. Being guarded, reserved for you. It's a guaranteed inheritance because of God's mercy, because of the new birth, because of the atonement and the resurrection, because of the things that God has done. This is now guaranteed for you. It's an incredible and incredible privilege. Think about it we're undeserving sinners. Nothing to deserve this. Blessed be God to His mercy. But according to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again. He died and rose in our place. He's reserved this inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, waiting in heaven for us. What have we done? We've brought our sin. That's it. It's amazing, amazing. This is a testament to God's lavish grace and mercy. Gra- lavish grace and mercy. Now, we looked at verses that told us the need to persevere for fin- final salvation. You must continue in the faith. You must continue in love. You must continue in good works or in holiness. You must strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, verse 5 pulls those things together for us. Look at, look at verse 5. He says, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Okay? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That is for those whom Christ has died, those who have been born again, caused by God, for those who have been lavishly given grace and extended such wonderful mercy, have this inheritance that is Imperishable, undefiled, waiting in heaven for you. God, by His power and grace, is guarding us for this salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's keeping us. And how is He keeping us? He's keeping us through faith, it says. That is, God is keeping us faithful. The only reason why I don't not become an unbeliever and turn my back on all of this is because God is keeping me faithful. That's it. If it was not for God's sovereign power at work in my life or in your life, you would become an unbeliever in a second. We're sustained by God's grace. God is keeping us by his power, it says, through faith. God is keeping us faithful. God is keeping us in his love. God is keeping us in holiness and righteousness. The reason why... I, or you, or anyone clings to Christ and pursues holiness and continues in love is because God's power is at work to guard you and to keep you through faith. This is an amazing passage. And now you know why it begins with, in verse number three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because this passage is meant to invoke wonder, ah. Wow, blessed be God, honor and glory and praise to him and to his worth and to his majesty. God is so great because look what he has done for such undeserving sinners. And so all glory and praise and honor goes to God. It's such a great truth. Really, it should bring us low in humility, should raise us to the heights of reverence and awe and wonder when we consider this all-powerful. And all merciful God. So I hope this passage helps to tie things together. So we started with a thesis: True Christians must persevere. True Christians will persevere. Secondly, and then thirdly, true Christians must and will persevere because they're being because they have been born again, and they're being kept by God or being kept by God's power. Now this really should thrill our soul when we consider these truths. We should really really delight and relish in these things, in our God and the great salvation he's accomplished. This is way better than anything you watch on TV. This is way better than any sporting event, way better than anything you can do. This, This temporal little trinkets and pleasure this world offers, this is far better to contemplate our great God and his salvation. Now, a few Applications, implications of this truth, okay, that true Christians must and will persevere, and 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 this, they're going to do that because they've been born of God and are kept by God's power. I want to go back to consider that phrase: "Once saved, always saved." Okay, once saved, always saved, and I would I would agree to that phrase, but it depends what you mean by saved. Okay, and that's where we fall into problems, fall into problems because we have some people who think that once saved, always saved means. That you make a profession, typically as a child, and that when someone makes a profession, they're a Christian, no ifs, ands, or buts forever. Okay? Once saved, always saved. You make a profession once, you're a Christian. No questions asked. Okay? Typically, we have many professions made by children or others, perhaps at a camp meeting, an evangelistic service, a youth night, bedside with mom or dad. And as they grow... They grow distant from Christ. They grow distant from Christ's ways. They grow distant from the church. And then this phrase comes up, once saved, always saved. They made a profession when they were young. Now, if you were a child and you made a profession of faith like this, don't think that I'm saying you're an unbeliever. Okay, I'm not gonna say it. But what I'm saying is because some child or even an older person has spoken the words or invited Jesus into their heart, which is what we commonly say in our day and age, It does not mean that they will attain final salvation. I think we can see that from these passages. A true Christian must persevere in faith, love, and good works to attain final salvation. A profession of faith is not enough to guarantee final salvation. So what do I mean then by this phrase, once saved, always saved? Once saved, always saved is misunderstood because we misunderstand what it means to be saved. Saved. We could say, once you are born again, you're always born again. And we could say, yes, amen. And that's what saved means. Once converted, always converted. We could say, amen. Once saved, always saved. We could say, amen. When you say saved, what we mean is born again. We mean that you've been converted. You've had a supernatural work of God where his Holy Spirit has invaded your life. And you have new hopes and new dreams and new desires and you strive for holiness. And you love the church with all of our imperfections. You love the church. You love Christ. And you will stay faithful. Yes, we'll all waver here and there with doubts. We'll all struggle with sin. It's not perfection, but it's a direction. And Jesus Christ will be working in us to keep us faithful, to keep us in his love and to keep us pursuing holiness and seeing progress as we fight the fight of sin. And so once saved, always saved. Can he misunderstood? People correctly understand the enduring grace of God, but they misunderstand what it looks like to be a true child of God. Okay? So once saved, always saved. I would agree, but let's make sure we understand what saved truly is. Okay, now, the second way that this phrase sometimes used, or actually this phrase sometimes even um, completely disregarded, once saved, always saved, that's unbiblical. And some people say, well, it's, it's so unbiblical that you know people can lose their salvation. You, you, you can be saved, and then you can lose your salvation. And I think in this case as well, they're misunderstanding the nature of the new birth. They're misunderstanding what it means to be born again. They correctly understand that you need to persevere in faith, love, and good works. But they misunderstand the enduring grace of God in the new birth. They neglect the promises of John 10, Romans 8, 1 Peter 1, like we have just saw, which say that we are guaranteed an inheritance and we are being kept by the power of God. Okay, and so the new birth, the doctrine of the new birth tells us that we can't be reborn uh, a second time or born into. Once someone is born again, that's it. God has now this child or daughter of God that is going to be made perfect, made complete. In Romans 8, there's an unbroken chain between God has predestined, calling, justified, glorified. No one falls off the train. Everyone makes it to the end who's been predestined, called, justified, and glorified. When we are born again, we remain born again. No one can lose their salvation in that sense of the word. So God will preserve those who are his so that those who are his will persevere. And so if we ask, why is anyone saved? It's all of God's grace, 100%. Why does anyone stay in that state of grace? Why do they stay saved? Again, it's all of God's grace, 100%. That's why this doctrine has historically been called, uh, not once saved, always saved, or not, but it's historically called the perseverance of the saints. I like that word so much better because it talks about not only what God is doing, you know, the saints will persevere. Why? Because God preserves them. So God is preserving the saints and they're persevering. They're persevering in faith and love and good works. Why? Because they're being kept by the power of God. And so we talk about the perseverance of the saints. We can hopefully avoid some of those errors that we have in the phrase that's more memorable. Once saved, always saved. Now, as we consider the implications of that, what happens to people then? Or what should we think about people? who make a profession to follow Christ, and then at a later time, fall away. They make a profession to follow Christ, perhaps in their youth. And as they grow up, they live immoral lives. They, they, and when I mean immoral lives, I'm talking about morality defined in the scriptures. You know, their sexual ethic is not one that aligns with scripture, but one that aligns with the world. The things that they watch, things that they delight in, are the things the world delights in. They love the world. Okay, and their lives are indistinguishable from people in the world. They made a profession when they were young, but now they live like the world. They don't they don't love the church. They don't continue in the faith, they don't continue in good works, they're not holy, they're not living righteously. So what should we do in such a case? What should we do in such a case? It is not that they fell out of Christ or lost saving grace or lost their salvation. Okay, those are not options because we see that in John 10, and Romans 8, 1 Peter 1. That's an impossibility. No one can lose their salvation. So what happens then when someone professes Christ but then does not persevere in faith, love and holiness? Well, 1 John 2:19 is instructive for us because 1 John 2:19 tells us that they were never saved. They were never saved. They may have looked like sheep for a time, but now they've fallen away and now it becomes plain that they never experienced salvation. First John 2.19 says this. It says they went out from us as they left us. They left the church. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So, what's John saying here? They've forsaken our teaching. They've forsaken the church. And now it is plain, it is evident that they were never one of us. They were in our midst for a time, they taught our classes. As, these were teachers in the church, as he's talking about. These are people that are among us, they looked a lot like us but now they've left us. They've left the teaching. They left the church. And he says, it's plain that they were never one of us. They never had salvation. So what should we do if we know people who have made a profession of faith, but now evidence no fruit of it, who are not persevering in faith, or perhaps they still give intellectual assent, but they're not persevering in true biblical faith. They're not persevering in true biblical Christian love, love for God, and love for the church. They're not persevering in true holiness, striving for holiness. What should we do in that case? Should we just write them off and say, well, look what it says in first John. It's plain. They're not one of us. It's too bad for them. No, that's not what we're going to say. may we never have those kinds of thoughts. Maybe we think, oh, maybe, well, I guess they're not one of the elect. They're not one of the sheep. No, we should never think that way. These people need repentance and faith. And you know one thing they need the most? People who say that they were a Christian at one point and now they've grown past it. and I'm not, Maybe they call themselves a Christian still, but they're not persevering in faith and love and good works. What they need to know is that they are turning their back. They're walking away from something that they have never actually experienced. Because First John says that they were never one of us. It's plain, it's evident, he says. If someone can make a profession of faith in Christ and see Christ for who he truly is, see Christ as the treasure of your life, such that every other joy in this world pales in comparison and you see Christ for who he is, you know he's necessary, for your eternal life. You know he's necessary for the forgiveness of your sins. You see his magnificence, his splendor, his beauty, his glory. And then you turn from that? That's impossible. No one can turn from the joy of God, of love for him. And so people who make a profession of faith and then live like they're not a Christian later in life, they have never been born again. That's what John is saying. They've never been born again. And we need to tell them that. That they have never experienced a new birth. You know, perhaps they left Christianity because they didn't see the power of God in their life to eradicate sin. And so they've left it. Well, they've never experienced a new birth. They never had the power of God in their life to eradicate sin. They've never experienced what it's like to have your eyes opened and to see Christ for the lovely person that he truly is. They've never seen the word for the very word of God because they haven't been born again. And so they're leaving something that they haven't actually experienced. They think they do, but they've never been born again. And so we must tell them they're in grave danger. They're in danger of hell. They're in danger of God's final judgment. They're in desperate danger need of repentance and faith they desperately need to come to christ we can't have an attitude of let's cross our fingers and just hope and see they made a profession when they were younger john says it's evident that they're not one of us it's plain it's plain read first john he, he says it he it over and over again it's plain it's plain it's plain who are the children of god and who are the children of devil it's plain So we must tell them. We must tell them that they need to turn to Christ. Now, as we consider this truth for ourselves, not just for others, I want to consider now as we close, just how should we receive this teaching? This idea that we must persevere and that we will persevere. As true believers, how do we receive such teaching? The question that we need to ask ourselves and be honest about ourselves is. If I was asking myself, am I born again? Am I born again? Have I tasted God? Do I know him? Do I. Know what it means to have a heart of stone ripped out and a heart of flesh put in. Do do I know what the scriptures talk about when it says that they're going to pursue holiness? When the word becomes a delight. When Christ becomes beautiful. When God becomes my all-consuming desire and joy, the treasure of my life. Do I know that? Am I born again? Because Christianity is not... Like a political party that you join and check a box and say, I'm gonna become a Christian now. Christianity is a supernatural work of God where He rips out your heart and gives you a new heart. You have new desires, new affections. It's characterized by self-denial, following Christ, living for him and not yourselves. Because Jesus said, if anyone's gonna come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To follow Christ. That's the product of being born again. That's the product of being a sheep. To hear his voice and to know it as the voice of God and to follow it. And so when we hear this teaching, we must ask, am I born again? Am I persevering in faith and love and good works? And if I am not persevering in those things, you should have no confidence that final salvation is yours. And I don't say that just to be condemning. The scriptures say that as a warning. Do not be deceived. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. I don't want you to go there. I want you to be saved. So don't be deceived. Salvation is being born again. True believers are going to take these conditional statements, you know, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Here's the gospel. And if you continue steadfast in the faith, then you will be saved. True believers are going to take those conditional statements and are going to take them to heart. and are going to say, yes, I need that. I need to persevere in faith. I need to persevere in love. I need to persevere in holiness. True Christians are going to take these ideas and say, tonight, what do I need to do? Tomorrow, what do I, I, I need to dive into the word. I've been neglecting the word. I've been neglecting holiness and I need to strive for it. I need to pursue it and I'm going to pursue it. These warning passages of scripture are going to ignite a flame in true believers' hearts. They're the grace of God actually to preserve you and to keep you in the faith. Non-Christians are going to hear those warning passages and say, it's not for me. That's not written for me. That's written for those outside the church. Those are for unbelievers. I'm, I'm, I'm one of God's elect. I I don't. I don't need that. My life is is just fine. I'm I'm safe where I am. Now those passages uh, they're they're misunderstood. That he's talking about work salvation. I don't believe in work salvation. I don't need to do good works. I'm saved by faith alone. I'm saved because God God loves me. He loves me, and so I don't need to obey that. It's not talking about me. But if that's our attitude, we're not true disciples of Christ. We're playing games. We're playing church, but we're not true disciples of Christ true disciples of Christ are going to heed these warnings and strive and strive. It's my prayer that by God's grace that none of you fall into this trap of thinking these verses don't apply to me. It's my prayer that all of you will pursue God with all your strength and all your might while trusting in his grace to carry you home to him. That's what we do. We strive with all of our effort all of our might, trusting in God's grace to sustain us and to keep us. We don't just sit back and say, God, you must do something. We strive for holiness. So this teaching should be received by our renewed pursuit of faith and love and holiness. And of course, a renewed joy and love and appreciation for God's grace and his power in the new birth. Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God I'm so thankful for your word I'm so thankful that your word challenges us on false conceptions and ideas I'm so thankful that You are so gracious and kind to us. Not only to send your son to die, but to give us your word. To give us these warnings. That if they are not heeded, then we are destined for hellfire. Oh God, you give us these warnings out of your love and your mercy and compassion. And so we pray. That we would be a people who are marked by repentance and faith. People who are marked by a persevering tenacity and faith in love and in good works. Oh God, may none of us be deceived. May we see evidence in our own life of the new birth of being born again. And God, if we don't see the evidence of your hand at work in our life, the new birth, the supernatural work of God, we are a new creature. Oh God, may we not just ignore that fact, but may we plead with you, wrestle with you. May we search your scriptures day and night and pour our heart to you and may you be merciful and grant life. Oh God, work among us as you've promised. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.